Revelation 19. I'm going to go back and read the section that we studied last week because I want to make sure it's all comprehensible in context and so forth. But when we begin the study, we'll pick it up in verse 15. But I'm going to go back and start with verse 11 of Revelation 19. Let's read this whole section together. Now I saw heaven open, says John, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses." And then we'll be picking it up here. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven... Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so this is going to wrap up chapter 19, and I guess you could say that this is the part we've all been waiting for. Everything's been leading up to this all the way through the book of Revelation. The outpouring of God's wrath on an unbelieving world, the tribulation, seven years, which start out looking pretty good. Start out with a peace treaty uh, between Israel and her enemies, orchestrated by the soon-to-come Antichrist, the one-world leader, and yet we know that things rapidly go downhill during the tribulation because it is God's judgment on this world just as Noah's flood was God's judgment on the world at the time of Noah. And we've been able to go through and see all the calamities, all the catastrophes, all the uh, pestilences and earthquakes and volcanoes and all that stuff, the diseases, the uh, increased intense heat of the sun and so forth, the destruction of the fresh water, salt water, the whole environment just going down the tubes. It's interesting because they keep, just like they keep pushing COVID and the vaccine and all this on us, they keep pushing this climate change scenario. And uh, all the doom and gloom and the naysayers and theoretically we shouldn't even be here by now. According to John Kerry and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others, we should already be dead. How many of you know somebody that's died from climate change? Anybody? <laughs> Must be really dangerous. 
In fact, we had such a beautiful November, I kept praising God for climate change. Thank you, Lord, for global warming. I love it. But a lot of you probably know this, but if you track weather down through the course of history, at least for the last several hundred years that those things have been monitored and recorded, weather always goes in cycles. You know? You'll hear people say, Boy, I remember back in the day when we used to get some big snowstorms here. Well, it must be global warming, climate change. Oh, no. But then, wow, I remember when it used to be so hot. Now it's a lot colder. It's because weather naturally, weather patterns come and go. They change. They go up and down. That's been true throughout this planet's history. Somehow... And then they turn around and tell you, well, there's too many people on this planet. Well, if it, we're all dying from climate change, why is there too many people? Right? There's never any common sense, logic, reason, or rationality to the arguments these people make. But what my point is this. If they want climate change so bad during the tribulation, they're going to get it. They're going to get it, baby. And it's not going to be because of your... SUV, or your double cab pickup, it's not going to be because of airplanes, you know, and it's, isn't it funny how all the elites, these big climate change proponents, they all fly around in their private jets and, and emitting carbon all over the place, but they don't want you to have an SUV, right? It's not going to be from any of that. It's going to be because of the judgment of God being poured out on this world. All right, let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We ask you to bless our time of study here. Thank you, Lord, for this exciting moment here in Revelation 19 where we see the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. Lord, we know that during the rapture, he will not set foot on the earth. He will call us up to meet him in the air. But at the second coming, he will set his foot down on the Mount of Olives and we will be there with him, the armies of heaven. We will be coming back with him to declare victory over planet earth and to establish his kingdom. Lord, bless this time of study in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now, I think we all know this is not a literal sword because Jesus doesn't need one of those. If you remember in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest him. We're looking for Jesus. Where is he? Jesus steps and goes, here I am. And all the soldiers fell over backwards. Just when he said, here I am, it's me. Boom. They fall over. Jesus' spoken word is more powerful than any earthly weapon. And the word for sword here in the Greek is romphea. Romphea. And it was used of an unusually long sword and sometimes used as a spear, thus indicating a piercing action. And if you recall Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So this sharp sword that comes out of his mouth is his word the most powerful force in the universe, that with it he should strike 
Some translations include the word down, strike down the nations. And so this unbelieving world under the leadership of the Antichrist, or as he's also known as the beast, beastie boy number one, the false prophet, beastie boy number two, they will be destroyed the same way that this world was created by the spoken word of Christ. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, big W, Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Remember back in Genesis where God said, let us make man in our image? Plural, Elohim. Why did God say, let us make man in our? Because all three persons of the Trinity were there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Word was with God, the Word was God, and of course He is, Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. John is speaking of history past. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made, how? Through Him. For those who question the deity of Christ, the Godhood of Christ, this is one of many verses that makes it very clear. He is the Creator, and only God is the Creator. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing made that was made. So even as God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all present at the creation of this world, the creation of the human race, and they spoke it, the, the theological term is divine fiat, spoken word. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke all things. Remember what God said, let there be light, right? He spoke all things into existence, and when he returns and we come with him, he is going to speak destruction upon the Antichrist and the evil armies of this world. That's all it's going to take. And it'll be an awful fun thing to watch, don't you think? Not that we wish destruction upon anyone, but we saw in the previous chapter how there was rejoicing in heaven because God's holiness and God's righteousness and God's justice is going to be carried out. And that should be a thing to celebrate. And again, all those who fall under that destructive, crushing wine press of God, it'll happen because they made choices, personal choices. I've talked so much over the years about choice. We live in a world where so many people think that they don't have any choices, that they're just subject to whatever happens around them, situations and circumstances. I'm a victim of circumstances. No, God created you as a free moral agent. He gave you a free will and even if it has to do with something like bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, hatred, all those things that plague our evil human hearts, all of those are choices, folks. Do you know that? You can choose not to be bitter. You can choose not to hate. You can choose not to withhold forgiveness. But let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to make those choices when you're filled with the Spirit of God. It's not that easy when you're operating under your own power. It's hard enough with God's help because we have an evil sin nature. But when we make right choices, God will give us the strength to carry them out, to follow through. He works in us both to will, desire, and to do of his good pleasure. So even though 
we would prefer, and God would prefer, not to see any human fall under judgment. Peter tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But again, because we are free moral agents, because we do have a free will, oftentimes we make the wrong choices. So out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike down the nations. So this unbelieving world, under the leadership of the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, will be destroyed the same way it was created, by the spoken word of Christ. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron, or some translations say an iron scepter. It's interesting because the word rule here literally means he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. So Christ will be the shepherd king. He is the seed of David. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he will be the shepherd king. He is the good shepherd, is he not? But under his millennial rule, he will rule with a rod of iron or an iron scepter. His power and authority will be ironclad and unbreakable. And this is in fulfillment of Psalms chapter 2, which I will read. Follow along with me. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And we see this vain thing here in chapter 19 as the armies of the earth under the leadership of the Antichrist are gathered there in the valley of Megiddo to try to prevent the return of Christ. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So this is that final moment of confrontation, the last gasp of the Antichrist and the armies of this world to seize control of this planet away from God, who ultimately, by the way, is in control. You know that, right? He allows a certain amount of latitude. He gives the devil so much rope, but eventually that'll be enough rope to hang himself. Let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion as Jesus returns. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. That's exactly what's going to be happening very soon. You shall break them with a rod of iron and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And so we see the fulfillment of this psalm at the return of Christ, the second coming, not the rapture. The rapture is a secretive event that takes place at the beginning of the tribulation. It takes everyone by surprise like a thief in the night, the second coming, right out there in broad daylight in front of God and everybody. Notice something. The repeated use of the phrase, he himself, he himself 
will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Live and in person, Jesus Christ coming soon to a planet near you. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Now we've already seen in previous chapters that God is going to crush the wicked like grapes. It's a pretty graphic analogy. And it is Jesus personally who will, quote, stomp the grapes. Matthew 21, 42-44, Jesus said to them, the chief priests and the Pharisees, Have you ever read in the Scriptures, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Of course, Jesus is that chief cornerstone. The builders, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel, rejected him as the chief cornerstone. Verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone, remember what he told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. He's referring to himself here too, and he says whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder and so similar analogies we see regarding the crushing of the wicked at the return of Christ. And again, from the human perspective, and that's why a lot of people struggle with this, it seems hurtful, mean, cruel, and so forth, but you have to remember God is perfect, holy, just, righteous. He sets the standard the word sin means to miss the mark. All have come to sin and fallen short of the glory of God. God's very nature demands perfection, which we can never, ever fulfill, except that the perfect, sinless Son of God died on the cross in our place. So the only way we can ever be worthy to enter in God's presence, to be a part of His eternal kingdom, is by humbling ourselves before Him, acknowledging our sin, Asking Jesus to come and live inside of us, to forgive us, to wash us with his blood, to forgive us from our sins. And then we are seen by God as righteous because the righteousness of Christ is superimposed upon us. So when we see this, what from the human perspective seems horrible, outrageous, mean, hateful, the destruction of a wicked world, it's really the only possible outcome from a perfect, holy, just, righteous creator who because he loves us so much has done everything he could to make that not happen. And all we have to do is receive the work that was done by Christ on the cross. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Daniel. Now this is a again a prophetic passage in the book of Daniel, I've mentioned before, one of the best books to study alongside of Revelation is the book of Daniel. Daniel 2.34-35. Daniel, of course, is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, helping him to understand his dream, his vision. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, you watched while a stone, does this sound familiar? The stone, again, is Jesus. 
you watched while a stone was cut out without hands. In other words, Jesus is not a product of human procreation. Jesus is a product of divine intervention where God miraculously, supernaturally impregnated Mary. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image, that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The feet of iron and clay represent the last world empire. This will be the empire of the Antichrist during the tribulation. Struck the image of, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold, all the previous empires, were crushed together and became like chaff. That's the, when they thresh the wheat. That's that light stuff that as they thresh the wheat to separate the grain, the wheat from the chaff, the chaff just blows away in the wind. Became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. This is prophetic prophesying that the second coming of Christ will result in the complete, absolute, once and for all destruction of every human governmental system on the planet. It'll be replaced by the government. Remember what the prophecy of the Messiah, the government shall be upon his shoulders? The government of Jesus Christ coming soon to a planet near you. So for all of us who are fed up with earthly human governments, because we happen to have been in possession for the last 250 years of arguably the best government ever to exist on this planet, but it's going downhill fast, folks. But the government of Jesus Christ will be the eternal everlasting government. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain. Again, the stone is Jesus Christ. Became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And the Bible clearly tells us, prophesies, that the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth. Has that happened yet? Nope. There's a lot of unglorious things in this world right now, aren't there? But very soon... Revelation 19, the second coming, where we come back with Jesus, and you and I won't have to lift a finger because Jesus is going to do it all with the sword, the word that comes out of his mouth. And then his kingdom will be established shortly thereafter. Okay, verse 16. <clears throat> he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So there will be no mistaking who he is this time around. The first time he came very humbly, remember? Born in a, in a stable, in a manger, which is a carve-out in the rock, really, where the, it was a feeding trough for the animals. He wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a regular house. He was born to two very young, impoverished parents, Mary and Joseph, we do know the wise men came later on when he was about two years old, two to three years old, honored him with gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh and so forth. But nonetheless, a very humble beginning. He grew up in a place called Nazareth that was really kind of like, well, I won't mention any names here in, in New Mexico, but um, <laughs> it was, they were, the people from Nazareth were considered hillbillies. 
Jewish hillbillies, okay? They had that Nazarene accent. I know where you're from. You're from Nazareth. Oh, shucks. You think so? <laughs> Grew up the son of a carpenter, doing manual labor. Made himself of no reputation, the Bible says. But guess what? When we come back with him, he's going to be right out there for everybody to see. King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper of God. Now we've already talked about the wedding feast of the Lamb, the celebration for the bride and groom. We as the church are the bride of Christ. This is not the marriage supper of the Lamb, folks, as we see in the next verse. What supper is this? The supper of God? This is not the supper of the Lamb. This is the supper of God that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. I've come up with my own name tag for this event. Flesh Fest Y2K. <laughs> Flesh Fest Y2K. I know we're a little bit beyond Y2K, but that's the best I could come up with. We're still in the same century, so. Now, I was, even as I was reading this verse, I was thinking, I bet there's a lot of people who think this is just imagery. But this is literal, folks. This is really going to happen. It's really going to happen. We've seen... Through history, through photographs, through motion pictures, through books. So many devastating events in the history of the human race and of this planet. But they all pale in comparison to what's coming. And it's not just imagery. It's not just metaphorical. It's real. The slaughter in the War of Armageddon will be so great that an angel will call together the flesh-eating birds, the vultures, the ravens, etc., to devour the bodies of those who fall in battle. Matthew 24, 27. When Jesus was here on the earth, he says, As lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, again, I said, the rapture is a secretive event. Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. But then he says that his return will be quite visible as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west. So will the coming be of the Son of Man. And then notice what he says next. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. He's speaking specifically about what we're reading here in Revelation 19. We see this continuity in the scriptures because the same person wrote the whole Bible, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He used human instruments, but the continuous thread, the continuity we see throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament is there because it was really all written by one person, God himself. That's why we call it the Word of God. Verse 19 then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. 
So the Antichrist, the beast, the ten kings and their armies, quite possibly, most likely, the greatest military force ever assembled on this planet will foolishly attempt to prevent the return of Christ. But that just goes to show you, see, we're already in this, what Chuck Missler called the age of deception. I've said it's really gone beyond that now. It's the age of insanity. That's where we're at. But when you think, how could anybody be that stupid, that dumb, to try to fight against God? But we're already seeing deception at that level right now, even as we speak. So we shouldn't be too shocked or too surprised that they will attempt this. And it is their last-ditch effort. The devil definitely knows it's his last-ditch effort. He will be personally indwelling the Antichrist, calling the shots. But verse 20, here we go. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf, with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And so even though millions will be slaughtered, literally, during this final confrontation, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be taken alive, and then they will be thrown into the lake of fire. They will actually have the honor, if you will, of becoming the first occupants of the lake of fire, which is synonymous with Gehenna, or hell. Other believers now in Hades, that's the, the holding place. Prior to the coming of Christ, Hades was divided into two sections. There was Abraham's bosom, where the followers of God would go. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus dies, goes to be in Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies. He gets to go on the other side. And he's calling out, Father Abraham, it's really hot over here. <laughs> no surprise. Uh, please uh, send uh, um, Lazarus over to give me a drink of water. Nope, no can do, sorry. So under the new covenant, believers no longer go to Abraham's bosom. We go directly to heaven. But the non-believers still go to that place called Hades. Could be that's where the misconception of the doctrine of purgatory came from. But it doesn't apply to believers. So, the Antichrist, the false prophet, will be thrown into the lake of fire. But then we look over to Revelation 2014. Now this is at the end of the millennium. When Jesus allows Satan to be loosed for a short time to once again deceive the nations. There's that final confrontation. After that, time is no more and we enter into eternity. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 20, 21, and so forth. But Revelation 20, 14 says, Then, after the millennium, death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so there will be that final judgment which takes place after the millennium. And that's when other unbelievers now in Hades will join 
the Antichrist and the false prophet in the lake of fire. Verse 21, Revelation 19, our last verse for this morning. The rest of them, apart from the false prophet, the Antichrist, who will be captured alive, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, Jesus Christ, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So, apart from the Antichrist and the false prophet who are reserved for some special torment, if you will, the kings of the earth, every member of their army from hell, will be destroyed by the word of God that comes out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. So what do we have coming up next as we move into verse 20? This is still the good stuff. We're into the good stuff now. The devil, who was chained and imprisoned for a thousand years, and then the great white throne judgment. And we will be there, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. <laughs> Only at that point, it'll be more fun than any immortal should be allowed to have. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is so awesome. It is so detailed and specific. And Lord, we know that uh, up to this point, your word has a 100% perfect track record in terms of prophecy. Up so far, Father, every prophecy has come to pass, and we have no doubt that the rest of these prophecies will also come to pass. And Lord, we acknowledge here this morning that even now we see many of them happening before our very eyes. So we thank you, Father, for that. I'm going to ask if anybody has a prayer request, you'd raise your hand right now. And Lord, you see all those hands. You know what's on each person's mind, what's in each person's heart. Father, we lift up health issues. We know we live in bodies that are cursed by sin, that they won't last forever. But in the meantime, particularly if we have a, a sincere, heartfelt desire to live our lives for Christ, to be followers, disciples, servants of Christ, Lord, we, we ask that you'd give us the strength and the health that we need to do that that you'd pour out your healing upon those in need of a healing touch. Lord, whether it's for COVID-19 or other illnesses, influenza, common cold, allergies, cancer, diabetes, Lord, we know nothing is too small or too big for you. And we pray for hope, for faith, for strength, for endurance, for patience, for encouragement for those struggling with health issues here this morning or others that we're praying on behalf of, those perhaps watching on the internet. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit has no boundaries. Lord, you can send your Spirit out right now to touch those that are on our hearts and minds, those that are watching online. Thank you, God. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all those who are struggling with illness. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray for provision for those struggling with finances, financial issues. Lord, this is a time of year when it can be a lot of fun, really exciting, but it can also be depressing if we're, if we're struggling financially and we don't have the means to celebrate the season the way that we would like to. Lord, we know that we've made it too much about materialism and not, not enough about thanksgiving, not enough about the birth of Christ. But Lord, uh, we know that it also, we, it's enjoyable to be able to uh, have holiday meals and give gifts and receive gifts. Lord, we know that it's even more important that we honor you and worship you. 
But I just pray for encouragement for those who are going through a difficult time financially, that you'd provide for them, take care of them. Lord, help us as the body of Christ whenever we have opportunity and we have the knowledge and the information to do so, that we would reach out and help one another. But Lord, we know ultimately you are the provider. No matter where it comes from, it ultimately comes from you. We pray for jobs where they are needed. We, we pray for protection against um, places that would try to violate our, our liberties, our freedom, our constitutional rights, and force people to do things they don't want to do in order to keep their job, like take a vaccine. Lord, we pray for strength, for boldness, for courage to take a firm stand against oppression. Lord, we know we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for people who did that in the past. So give us boldness, give us courage, give us fortitude. We ask in Jesus' name. Pray for healing of relationships that have been damaged or broken. Lord, we know that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but you came that we might have life and more, life more abundantly. We pray for abundance to be poured out upon marriages, friendships. Lord, where there is need for restoration, that you would come in like a flood, defeat the enemy, and restore those broken hearts and broken relationships, Father. And finally, we pray, Lord, for mental and emotional struggles that so many go through. Lord, we ask that you would defeat depression, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, hatred, jealousy. All these things are, are damaging and harmful, and yet we know that if we don't keep our guard up and we don't walk in the Spirit, we are vulnerable to these things. We pray that you would help us to renounce and relinquish any of these ungodly, unholy feelings, emotions, thoughts, and beliefs that we have and cling only to your holiness and your righteousness. Lord, please pour out your Spirit upon each one today that's raised their hand and if even if somebody at home maybe that's raising their hand or just in their hearts and minds raising their hand. Pour out your Spirit upon them and bless each one. And We thank you for this time together. We ask you to receive now this offering of praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.